Chuck here, and welcome to episode 21 of the Pennsylvania Project. I guess we can start drinking now. As you may know, here at the Pennsylvania Project, our vision is a better Pennsylvania. To achieve that vision, our mission is to boldly, vigorously, and methodically showcase the political, cultural, and environmental challenges facing contemporary Pennsylvania, and to relentlessly pursue correct solutions. But more important than solving the problem correctly is to solve the correct problem. I-M-H-O. We have a very local episode planned for today, and like all episodes of the Pennsylvania Project, it's divided into three parts. You, them, and me. Part one is all about you, your questions, your opinions, your solutions, your whatevers. And rather than a call-in format, we have an email-in format, which I'll talk about a little bit later. So if you have something to say, you can always contact us at PennsylvaniaProject.com. And you can always listen in on iTunes, Stitcher, Google, PennsylvaniaProject.com, or your favorite podcast provider. Today for the you part of the show, we have some new and old questions. That includes a new one about zoning, more about medical freedom, I guess the third time we've talked about it recently, and one vignette about rangers that did not fit into episode 19 that's just too good to leave out. After that, we come to part two of the Pennsylvania Project, and that's all about them. That means each episode we host a guest to help us showcase the political, cultural, and environmental issues facing Pennsylvania. Our guest today is heavily political. She is the vexatious requester of Greg Township, Michelle Grove, from out there in the middle of Pennsylvania. And after that, will come part three of the Pennsylvania Project, the me part, where it's my turn, your caster, Ken Crawchuk. And I'll be focusing on some particular issue that really sticks in my craw. Today's rant is about audiences. And throughout the show, we'll be featuring a Pennsylvania Toastmaster to narrate our live commercials and whatever comes in through the mailbag. Today, we have a real winner, literally. She's the reigning champion of impromptu speaking in Pennsylvania and New Jersey, having recently won the Toastmasters 38 Table Topics Competition. Distinguished Toastmaster, Karen Flam. Karen, welcome to the Pennsylvania Project. Glad to be here, Ken. Glad to have you here. Listen, I always ask, what do you like about being a Toastmaster? Being a Toastmaster has enabled me to refine my public speaking and leadership skills. And best of all, I get to meet great people. (laughs) That's true. Likewise, I'm sure. Now, before we dig into that mailbag, I want to say how much fun we had in episode 20 last week. If you haven't heard it, we recorded it at the Philadelphia Folk Festival out in Schwanksville, Pennsylvania, middle of nowhere, right? It was my 42nd fest that I've been to, but this was the first one where I had a press pass. That was cool. So I was able to get into places I've never been to before, and the beginning and end of the show was recorded from the main stage. Not during any acts, of course. It would have gotten in our way, and we would have gotten in theirs. And the rest of it was recorded on a grassy path in the middle of the campground. Definitely a real blast. Unusual for the show. Check it out. Episode 20. Now, let's dig into that mailbag. And remember that our mission here is not just to complain, but to explore solutions. What do we have today, Karen? Well, our first email comes from Bernie McCann of Elwood City, Pennsylvania. The show about medical freedom was interesting, but are these truly workable ideas that you're discussing? Don't vaccinate your kids if that's your choice. I've had Crohn's since 2010. As you know, it's a hereditary autoimmune disease. My son's mother, knowing that he may end up with it, chose not to have him vaccinated for religious reasons. It was her choice, an exercise of her personal freedom. Is it right for him or for him to be sitting in a classroom full of unvaccinated kids? 
Of course not. Hmm. That's an interesting conundrum you raise, Bernie. Certainly you and all those kids' parents, you have the right to decide whether or not the kids should get vaccinated, right? For whatever reason it may be, religious or otherwise, because it's a a risk that they choose to take or not to take with their kids. And, and that's their right. You know, like, like I always say, as a libertarian, I believe you have the right to live your life your way without interference, provided only that you respect the rights and property of others. So if you want to vaccinate your kids, fine, do so. If not, fine, don't. Your life your way. Or as I said in the last episode, it may turn out to be your death your way, but that choice should always be yours, right? I went into this in great detail at the end of episode 18 and again at the beginning of episode 19. So I'm not going to repeat all the reasoning right here. Let me just stick with your particular conundrum. Listening to it, I think the key question here is who makes the decision? In the case of your son, you and the mom decided. But in the case of those other unvaccinated kids in the class with him, well, their parents decided. You and they both balanced the risks against the benefits. And you decided on whatever course of action each of you thought best for your kids. They made the choices. You made the choices. And the last thing I would like to see is the government making the choices for you. Parents, not government, should always decide how to best raise their children. Period. That's it. But if I understand your question correctly, there's a a heavy-duty second side to this issue. Think about it. Is it okay for you to send an unvaccinated kid to school, like you say, but it's not okay for other parents to do the same? Are you suggesting that we use the power of government to force the other kids to get vaccinated, but exempt yourself and your kid from that very rule? Would you want to set up some kind of a new bureaucracy to review all the requests to remain unvaccinated, which still leaves the control in the hands of the government? I hope not. Because if you did, you know what would happen. You'd turn parental choice into a political football, and that would result in a government type of one-size-fits-none solution, and then everyone would lose, one after the other. I'm really sh- not really sure what you're suggesting here, Bernie. Either parents can make the choice and send their kids to school unvaccinated, or they can't. What I would say is it should be your life your way, not the government's way, always the parents' way. Nick Mick writes from East Fredericktown, Pennsylvania, what about zoning, particularly with small gardens and yards? <laughs> An interesting question, Nick. But you see, I don't see it as a small gardens and yards issue. I don't see that being any different from a large gardens and large yards issue. As I just mentioned with Bernie, you have the right to live your life your way without interference, provided you respect the rights and property of others. And whenever you start talking about property, a lot of issues come into play. And the first and most obvious one is especially with gardens, is pollution. If your garden or compost heap or your spotlight or your fracking site or whatever starts leaking or blowing or shining or whatever onto other people's property, well, the proper solution is to stop it. Yes, yes, you can create zoning laws that prevent certain unauthorized uses and things like that, but it still does not address the core issue. You don't want to control what people do. You want to stop pollution. That's it. So rather than solving the problem correctly via zoning, the correct problem to solve is how do you stop the pollution and in my opinion the best way to treat pollution or to stop the pollution is to treat any pollution as a trespass trespassing if we treat a pollution pollution as a trespass 
Then, if someone's junk should leak, blow, fall, or whatever onto your neighbor's property, simple solution is to get them to stop. Tell them to stop trespassing. Get your junk off my property. And if they don't, all the existing remedies for trespassing would be available to you, such as local police assistance, court injunctions to stop the trespassers, court orders to have them remove the mess. And this would work not only for your small garden, but for big landfills, for nuclear waste, for acid rain, for loud stereos, bright lights, plain old trash, and all these other pollution problems we have. Just treat trespassers. Treat pollution as a trespass. I'll get it right. I'm, I just got back from the Folk Fest two days ago, and I'm still I'm suffering from folk lag. We stay up until about 3, 4 in the morning every night, and you, you stay sleep as late as you can. I got about four hours sleep a night. So I'm on the short end of the stick right here. So let me get back to the zoning. One of the big issues is regarding zoning itself. If you have the right to live your life your way, provided you respect the rights and property of others, and the government has no authority, no right to tell you what to do with your property. And there are numerous other remedies that can solve that problem, that correct problem, rather than solving the problem with zoning. And probably the most well-known example of a non-zoning solution is Houston, Texas. I don't know if you're aware of this, but Houston, Texas is the fourth largest city in the nation, and they have no zoning laws, none at all. So this isn't some pie-in-the-sky dream. This is something that's happening right now in America. We don't need zoning laws. They've had it for years that way, and civilization didn't collapse there. Buildings are still standing. So we just look at what Houston is doing. We could model, model stuff after that. Another great solution is deed restrictions. That's where you, as a property owner, put a legal covenant into your deed that says you'll never use the land for, I don't know, for a McDonald's, for a farm, or or you'll only use it for a home, only for eight or nine people or whatever it is. It's up to you. You and all your neighbors can do that. And you can design any kind of a neighborhood you want. If you want no trees, you have no trees. If you want, I don't know, all the houses painted yellow, you could say this house must always be painted yellow and make a legal decision to do that. Yes, you may suffer lower property values, but it's based on your choice. And that's your choice. You can do it. You don't do it. And there's a good example of that in the real world. Condo associations, they do that all the time. Matter of fact, they get maligned for some of the crazy things they like to do. If you like what a condo association does, you move in there. If you don't like it, you don't live there. But it still comes back to that bottom line. Your life, your way. The choice should always be yours, not the government. They can't go making these zoning laws and changing the zoning. They did that in my township. And all of a sudden, some houses that were worth a lot of money, now they're not worth as much. Other places that were worth a whole lot, because of the zoning, well, they changed it, and now they're not. So you got some bureaucrat controlling the value of your property. That's what zoning does. Good grief. The choice should always be yours. Never, never the government's. Now, Nick, your question was pretty short, and I wish I knew the details, what you mean by your yard and your garden and everything like that. But I'll say it again. You have the right to live your life your way without interference, provided only you respect the rights and property of others. That's, that's the libertarian philosophy. But I just gave you a couple good examples. There are numerous other ones, one after the other, on how we can respect everyone's rights and property. I would just say, pick the one you like best, just so long as it's not zoning. And what's this vignette about the Rangers you wanted to tell? <laughs> the Rangers. 
In episode 19, at the end of episode 19, what really stuck in my craw was park rangers, game wardens, fish commissioners, and all of their brethren and sistren. I'm not sure what the word is. (laughs) One or the other. Sorority. I talked about how they sometimes stalk the night looking for things going wrong, how they hassle you for specious reasons. About the time they pulled us over, we were in a canoe, they said, hey, you, pull over. And then, of course, we had our Toastmaster, Donna, singing that song about the Here Comes the Park Ranger. You can go back and listen to it. It's really good to listen to. But, you know, I was focusing on some of the things that park rangers do that just don't quite ring as well with me. And I don't want to leave the wrong impression or paint all rangers as being wrong because they're probably I've probably had 100 times as many good encounters as I have the questionable ones that I talked about. And there are all kinds of times when they interpreted the rules in a much more humane way and just let us slide too often, not too often, often enough. And that was the vignette. It's about, about my brother-in-law, Ed. And he tells a story. He's a my in-laws, they're all a hunting family, and he was out there hunting one day. This is in the 80s. Up there in upstate New York, unemployment hit eight, about 49%. And he was out of work. He had a wife, two little kids. And he would go out hunting to put food on the table. And he was out there one day, and he was hunting turkey. It was turkey season and everything. Flushed out a bird, popped the bird, bam, came down. And he looked, and he goes, oh, no, it's a loon. And loons are protected in New York State. And as you can guess, there was the ranger. The game warden was right there. And Ed says, listen, I thought it was turkey. I flushed it out. I pulled the trigger. I didn't know. I'm sorry. Can you let me slide? Game warden looked and says, well, yeah, I, I can see what you mean. It does look kind of like a turkey. Yeah, I'll let you slide this time. And Ed says, okay, you, thanks. Really appreciate that. But, you know, it would be a shame to leave the bird lie there. Do you mind if I, I take the bird home and, you know, we'll have dinner? And the game warden says, wow, I, you know, I never thought of that. What, what does loon taste like? And Ed says, oh, it tastes a lot like bald eagle. <laughs> On that somewhat humorous note, that's going to do it for the you portion of the show. We're going to pause for this information, and when we return, we will be talking to the vexatious requester of Greg Township, Michelle Grove. Did you hear the latest news? Almost two-thirds of all federal spending now goes to pay for the welfare state. More than $2.2 trillion, which just about equals federal income. Do you realize what that means? Virtually all tax revenue is now being consumed by the welfare state. But how do we rein in that runaway spending before it destroys America? The answer? The separation of society and state. That's the premise of the new novel, Atlas Snubbed, an unsanctioned parody sequel to Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged. Atlas Snubbed presents a workable alternative to the welfare state as we know it. Atlas Snubbed expertly extends Rand's epic story of a looter's world snubbed by the men of the mind, bringing to life a crumbling post-apocalyptic world where no one need ask who is John Galt, because now they know. Atlas Snubbed. Available at all online bookstores or through atlassnubbed.com. Read it today before it's too late. Hey, Ken Crawchuk here, caster of the Pennsylvania Project. You know, it's easy to find a high-paying job. At least for some people it is. Employers are begging for competent leaders who know how to communicate effectively. But do those words describe you? A competent leader communicates effectively? If not, or even if they do, 
you may want to consider joining Toastmasters. The mission of Toastmasters is to provide a supportive environment for learning communication and leadership skills. But does it really work? Hey, look at me. I joined Toastmasters and now I have my own radio podcast. So turn your life around like I have. Visit Toastmasters.org and contact a club near you. Visitors are always welcome, and be sure to mention my name. The future is anxiously awaiting competent leaders who know how to communicate effectively. You can be that leader. It all starts at Toastmasters.org. Hey, Ken Crosshock here again, and welcome to the then portion of episode 21 of the Pennsylvania Project where we always host a guest to help showcase the political, cultural, and environmental issues facing Pennsylvania. Our guest today is heavily political, Michelle Grove. She calls her, they call her the vexatious requester of Greg Township. She calls herself the notorious right-to-know requester of Greg Township. She's come all the way out here from Spring Mills near State College, Pennsylvania, right in the middle of Pennsylvania, to bring us up to date on the nuts and bolts of how to create a better local government. Welcome to the Pennsylvania Project, Michelle. Thanks, Ken. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's good to have you. I mean, you are infamous because I've been out your way a couple of times. You have a beautiful farm, by the way. I love it out thank there. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. But the, the big thing I'd like to hear is some of, uh, some of the stories about what's going on in Greg Township. Well, first of all, let's, let's start at the beginning. I, I go to Abington Township meetings, and I always tell people they should do that. Because you're always guaranteed to hear something stupid, something <laughs> childish, something unconstitutional. And, but that's Abington Township, Philadelphia suburb. What goes on out at meetings at Greg Township in the middle of nowhere there? Well, uh, the public is, has been discouraged from participating for quite some time. Um, people that ask questions are publicly shamed. Mm-hmm sometimes slandered, sometimes retaliated against outside of the meetings. Last December, they, the township actually called a town hall about me and my right to know <laughs> request. You know, that is the best thing because you know you're having an impact if they pay attention to what you're doing. Yes. So that was, that was pretty interesting. It was about an hour and 20 minutes of um, people, mostly board members, getting up and taking turns, um, encouraging the community to not do any business with my family. Really? Scold me, you know, point at me. (laughs) Isn't that discrimination? Uh, It's a lot of things. Um, I probably can't really give my full opinion on the radio. (laughs) You know, actually it is legal. That's the time-honored tradition known as shunning. Oh, yes. And the the Quakers used to practice that. Now, did anybody listen? Can you still buy a hamburger and stuff? Yeah, I can still buy whatever I want. Um, mostly what happened is uh, this happened the beginning of December and over Christmas, a lot of people (laughs) spread rumors about me on Facebook and that's, that's really all that happened. It was more of an annoyance. Uh Uh-huh. So. Still not an annoyance as long as they're spelling your name right. Somebody did a contact, um, an organization that I do an annual gig for and try to get me kicked off of it. Uh Uh-huh. That was pretty disappointing, but, um. But I wasn't kicked off, so. Uh-huh. Do you know, that happened to me the, the first time I ran for office because I was talking about ending the war on drugs. And the slander on the street was that Ken wants to give drugs to kids. He wants to give drugs to kids. And you know what? It actually turned out to be a benefit because it was my first race. People didn't know me. 
But once they got to know me and knew my position, they found out that that opinion was flat out wrong. So they wouldn't listen to those people. They said, oh, did you see what here Ken said this? No, no, you were wrong last time. So they lose their own credibility. That's funny because um, part of the town hall um, inciting, was inciting people to attack me because um, what they were telling people is that I wanted to put videos of foster children online. And the funny thing about that is we had several cases in the court system. I had already won a case for a surveillance video from their municipal building. <laughs> and I had a few other that they brought into the court system to try again. Um, and I won those, of course. Uh -huh. And so they were telling people that they needed to fight this to protect the foster children that I would expose if I were to get footage of the municipal building and the goings-on of the municipal employees. The ironic part about it, Ken, which you just reminded me of with your story, is that um, not only do I have no interest in putting videos of children online, but after I won in court ag again, um, two additional video cases pro se against their government attorney, they sent me 70, over 7,100 video clips that I, and I did not ask for that. I asked for a few and guess what their videos of children, children. playing in the building. <laughs> so it wasn't really about the children after all. <laughs> you know, I did something not as dramatic in Abington township that I would take a video camera to all the meetings and I'd set it up in the corner and I would just take video of everything that they did. Half of them hated it. Oh, they hated it. Part of the reason was because I had a sign on the side. It said, free copies available courtesy of the Abington Libertarians. <laughs> and there's some of the good commissioners, they actually gave me blank tapes. This is a VCR. Oh, wow. Yeah, they gave me blank tapes so I could do more and more. And eventually I convinced them to put this, to broadcast them because they had a one of these public access stations. Yes. I said, here, here's my tape. Walk it across the hall, plug it in there. Because all they had was like PowerPoint stuff up there. Right. They wouldn't do it, they wouldn't do it, they wouldn't do it. But finally, they got it going. And that's what it takes. It's that tenacity that you're showing. It does, and Greg Township does video record their meetings now and put them online. For several years, I was putting clips that I found interesting online, and they, they felt that I was editing them to um, show them in a poor light and we started um, uh -huh. a petition on my website for them to live stream. They wouldn't live stream it, but they do record the meetings now and put them online. Uh huh. And I was accused of that too, that I might edit it to make it look funny or something like that. Right. Of course, I, I wouldn't do that. And I, I helped a lot of people too. Once in there, there was a, the head of the local League of Women Voters went in there and said they, she wanted to use the township building for one of their debates. League of Women Voters, right? That's what they do. Mm -hmm. In the minutes, it said she was asking to have a wine and cheese party there. <laughs> and she came to me and she said, Ken, can I get video of the meeting? And she blasted them. And, of course, they all had to apologize. And that everything. has happened to me so many times <laughs> over the last few years. I Good for you. It, the minutes do not reflect what happens in the meeting. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's really something that I was thinking about ranting about at the end of this show. But I know I can't follow your act here. Is, <laughs> is that you should go to your local meetings. Guarantee you're going to find something good. You could, you could influence people. You're going to find out what's going on. You actually have some say in your government because it's local. Right. And you're, you're, you may just be one person, but how many people are on your board? Three supervisors. Three. So it's one against three. That, that's, Correct. Those odds are pretty good. Mm -hmm. It's not like going after 
Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton or something like exactly. that. Exactly. And and you can see things change when you're involved in your local government. You know, you can complain about Donald Trump or whoever the president is all day and nothing's going to change. Right. But if you go to your township or borough meetings, um, you can really make a difference. Mm -hmm. That's one of the reasons why Pennsylvania Project is focused exclusively on Pennsylvania. And so far as I know, we're the only talk show that does only Pennsylvania. And we do that because we can influence things here. And I've done that in my own races for Pennsylvania governor and things like that. I actually had Ed Rendell quoting Thomas Jefferson. <laughs> what the heck? I don't know. My guest today is local political activist, the vexatious requester of Greg Township, Michelle Grove. I'm your caster, Ken Krawchuk, and you're listening to episode 21 of The Pennsylvania Project. We'll be right back after this information. Thinking about getting your first tattoo? Maybe you're ready to add to that sleeve you started or cover up that one regretful choice. Put Sam C. and his team of artists at Iron Will Tattoo Club in Glenside, PA at the top of your list. The team at Iron Will has plenty of designs to choose from. They can create an original design or work with the design that you provide. Call 267-893-7625 today to schedule your free consultation. That's 267-8-WE-ROCK or visit them on Instagram at Iron Will Tattoo Club. Are you a small business owner always looking for referrals? Do you have a streamlined ap approach to generating new referrals? Contact Stephen Worley to learn the fast, easy way to generate new referrals. Stephen has an all-inclusive system that will help you generate an extra five to 10 customers per week without spending a single dollar on ads. You won't have to create a website, have pictures taken, or write a single ad. Stephen will take the headache out of the process. Contact him at stephenworley.com. That's Stephen with a V, W-E-R-L-E-Y.com. Do you have the financial freedom that you imagined you would have? At AJ Financial Freedom, we are dedicated to serving you while helping you to achieve your financial goals. We offer planning and investment advice on everything from college and retirement planning to a rollover 401k. Call 866-383-6899 to learn more. The top priority at AJ Freedom Financial has been and always will be our clients. 866-383-6899. Call AJ Freedom Financial today to talk to a qualified professional. 866-383-6899. That's 866-383-6899. AJ Freedom Financial, helping Pennsylvanians achieve financial freedom from the man. Securities investment advisories are offered through Gradient Securities, LLC, member F-I-N-R-A-S-I-P-C. Insurance products and services are offered through AJ Freedom Financial. AJ Freedom Financial is not affiliated with Gradient Securities, LLC. The Green Party of Pennsylvania are grassroots activists, environmentalists, advocates for social justice, nonviolent resistors, and regular citizens who've had enough of corporate-dominated politics. Their goals are to promote green values by organizing communities, guiding legislation, providing viable new political options, and making government more participatory for all peoples. For more details, contact the Green Party of Pennsylvania at 717-839-2395. That's 717-839-2395. Or locate them online at gpofpa.org. 
Hey, Ken Crosshock here again, and we're back with episode 21 of the Pennsylvania Project with the vexatious, notorious, right-to-know requester of Greg Township, Michelle Grove. Hey. Why? Why do they call you the notorious, vexatious, right-to-know requester? What are you requesting? I'm requesting records under the Pennsylvania right-to-know law, which should be available to the public. That would include emails, videos, recordings, um, financial records, things like that. The word vexatious actually came from, I've been, I've been in contact with a lot of other right-to-know requesters across the state um, since the town hall. What's interesting about the town hall is they actually got the attention of a lot of people like me who don't want to see that happen. Mm-hmm. So one person, um, her, her borough, one of their council members drafted a resolution for these municipalities to sign urging lawmakers to change the right to know law. And they call it the vexatious requester uh, resolution. And what, they're, what they want to get to, I know Sorry. it's really funny. What they want to get together and do is urge the law, our lawmakers to define the word harass and define the word overburden in the law. So basically these are municipalities that are whining about having to do their job and they you mean, you mean they don't just comply? No, they don't just comply. A lot of municipalities do Sar- sar- comply. Sarcasm intended. Yes, it's 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 really interesting. Um, I've sent right to know requests all over the state, and there are a lot of municipalities that simply comply and they do it just as the law intended. They do it within five days, uh, etc. And then there are the ones like Greg Township, and they're kind of sprinkled across the state, and they're actually. Um, making themselves really easy to find now. A lot of them are sort of taking ideas from Greg Township and copying them in their own municipalities. Uh, you know what? We had a show, I guess it was about three episodes ago, I could tell you which one, where somebody was complaining about copycat legislation. Mm. And I said, "Why? what's my copycat legislation? If it's a good idea, let's copy mm-hmm. it. But this sounds like it might be a bad idea. So a while ago, Greg Township decided that... Um, my requests are so vexatious to them that they would start publishing um, the request online and they would put them on the agenda in as much minute detail as possible. Now, mind you, they could simply comply and it would be less work than doing this, but it's a public shaming tactic. So now I know of at least two municipalities that have recently started doing this. So, you know, I intend... um, to start kind of looking around. If I if I can find a municipality, and maybe one of the listeners has one like this, if you go to their website and they have sort of what, we, what we're starting to call it between ourselves is a wall of shame. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, if they have the wall of shame um, and they're publishing their right to know requests and making them look as difficult as possible, then you know that that's a good uh, municipality to start sending right to know requests to because they're definitely hiding something. Uh-huh. So what do they do? They, they eventually comply, don't they? Uh, no. They, what do you mean no? You said they got five days. Uh, no. So so in, in Pennsylvania, under a right to know law, they have five days to respond to a request. That's five business days. Under very specific circumstances, they can request an extension of up to 30 days. What some of these, um, what I'm going to now call vexatious municipalities, <laughs> oh, I love it. another right to know requester um, pointed out, pointed out actually recently that there are municipalities that are vexatious. Um, 
they often take the 30-day extension. Uh, Reading is a great example. They were doing 30-day extensions and then not complying at all, and they ended up being responsible for uh-huh. reimbursement of a lot of legal fees and things um, in a landmark case. But anyway, so these munis- these vexatious municipalities generally will take as many extensions as they can and uh, and and play other games to kind of stall things. Then you end up in court, sometimes for months, sometimes for years. In the case of Greg Township, if I go to court, if they take me to court, they make all their arguments. For example, foster children, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, when the court brings down a decision that is in my favor, a member of the public, um, often the records were not retained or were deleted. Oops. That's happened a lot of times. Now, isn't that a crime in itself? Uh, so the right to know law does offer penalties. I have found that it is very, very difficult to enforce those penalties, especially when you go to court, for example, with four cases. I'm talking about one of mine here. Um, with four cases, you think this is a black and white case. I've got four orders here. Mm-hmm. They haven't given the records. Mm-hmm. The judge should look at this and say, all right, fine. Yep. Yep. Well, then they go to court and say, I don't know what she's talking about. We've <laughs> given her all the records. She's on, she's on some kind of fishing expedition. There's nothing to give her. And that's how they get out of it. Wow. Mm-hmm. You should be allowed to go on these fishing expeditions. We're supposed to have transparent government. Right? I agree with you. And if, if I want to go on a fishing expedition, I'm going to go on a fishing expedition. <laughs> you <laughs> and know? you should. Now, do they, well, after this, do they do anything else besides this public shaming or anything mm-hmm. like that? No, we're talking about pretty low level as far as um, trying to think of the right thing to say here without sounding like a real jerk, but <laughs> very immature tactics. Um, I mean, uh-huh. we've had some some basic, you know, we've had some vandalism on our property. Really? Um, some of it was pretty damaging. That was a while ago. That hasn't happened recently, but pretty immature type of shaming. I'm talking like middle school type of stuff name calling rumors there was a rumor going around christmas that i um rode my horse into the middle of the road and stopped a truck and wouldn't let it pass and i've never owned a horse horsing around huh so that's why actually my facebook profile picture i have a horse in it because i thought that was so (laughs) funny um there was another rumor that there's a anti-government group funding my vexatious requests, and I really wish that that were true. So if there's an anti-government group listening, please donate to me. <laughs> Is this expensive, these right to knows? I thought you'd just fill out a form and just do it? The right to know requests themselves are not expensive, unless you're getting a lot of paper copies. Um, but litigation can be very expensive and also very oh, yeah. time-consuming. You know, when they take me to court, um, in the new year, I, I think they had five cases against me. So I spent the first half of this year a ridiculous amount of time in court writing briefs, responding to briefs, um, responding to really wild, crazy, irrelevant allegations that I'm threatening people and doing all this stuff. And I'm just filing right to no requests and going to meetings, pretty normal stuff. You do all this yourself? You don't use a lawyer? No. um, For the enforcement case with four orders, um, we did this, this was actually my husband and I did together because one of the rights and requests was his. We did use a lawyer. 
It was very expensive. Yeah. And um, unfortunately, since the township's testimony was that they had already provided the records and the judge believed them, we were out of pocket on that. Wow. I'm about to go back to enforce more orders. Uh-huh. And I will not use a lawyer this time. You know, back in episode 12, we had a lawyer, an attorney for a guest. And that was very interesting. He, he was trying to justify $500 an hour salaries, things like that. And there were a couple points where he just said, I don't want to answer that question. Mm. <laughs> so it's, it's a shame you had to turn to a lawyer. I, I applaud you for doing it. For well, we tried yourself. it without a lawyer previously and it didn't work out. So we thought, let's try it with a lawyer. And it made no difference. It's really difficult to win a court case when one party is telling the truth and one party is not. Mm-hmm. So I've been in that situation because I've, I've been to court many times. I, you can ask my wife anytime I get like a traffic ticket. I go, woo, because mm-hmm. it's a good chance to learn how the system works. Yes. And it's not that difficult because if it was, lawyers wouldn't be able to do it. No, it's not difficult. And um, I've had some landmark cases pro se um, against not just Greg Township, but also the Pennsylvania State Police. And, you know, if I can if I can win a case and they've got lawyers and I don't, you know, mm-hmm. that's that's pretty interesting. Yeah, but the worst part is those lawyers are being paid for with your, by your taxes. Tax dollars. Correct. Oh man. It's just you you probably like Bernie, you know, you want to have your kid unvaccinated in the school, but you don't want the other kids to be unvaccinated. Right. Could be, yeah. You don't want to you want to win the case, but you don't want them to be using your tax dollars. To that's stop right. You. I said to somebody, I think yesterday, you know, even even when the government loses, they still win. When the government enforces upon people, like, for example, with zoning ordinances, like you mentioned earlier, when they enforce upon someone and then that person prevails in court, when they had to spend a bunch of money to get there and win, they still lost. The government lost nothing because they're not spending their own money. They're spending our money. That's right. And they got tons of it. They've got a limitless supply with our with our private property as collateral, really. Mm hmm. You know, and that, that's what really annoys me about the legal system is just that sheer amount of paperwork that you got to do. And it's like homework. Yes. You know, and, if you, and if you blow it a date or a deadline, that's it. It's over. Absolutely. And everything falls apart. I was telling the attorney we had here, my favorite moment is when you're in court and the, the clerk is looking through your papers and goes all the way through. And then she reaches out and mm-hmm. and time stamps it. It's like, yes. yes, that's the time to do it. Boy, boy. So we've got a, I've got a pending court case um, right now, Ken. This one is with my husband um, against our local school district. They've been violating the Sunshine Act. Hmm. We've gone through several hearings of their preliminary objections. We haven't even gotten to the actual complaint. Uh-huh. Um, they tried to argue that these school board members are high public officials yeah, immune right. from the law. What, what are they smoking? Does that make them high public officials? I know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe so. You'd have to be to come up with that. I mean. I guess. What What were they violating, Sunshine? Uh, so they were not allowing public comments at half of their meetings. They can't do that. They were not taking minutes at half of their meetings. Now, those two things they've since started doing. Uh-huh. Um, do they limit you? Abington Township started limiting people to three minutes. They do limit people. I don't remember exactly how long. But the, the what started this, what initiated this whole complaint was our school board spent $1.2 million on a farm purchase and didn't tell anyone. There was no decision made in public, no discussion made in public. It was done entirely behind closed doors. Clear cut. 
And they also, when they go into their executive sessions, as as you know, maybe all your listeners don't, um, they have to identify with some specificity right. why they're going into executive session. That way you, the public, know that you're being excluded for a good reason. And they don't do that. They actually just drop every category. They say, we're going into executive session for a contract, personnel, legal, blah, blah, blah. They don't tell you anything. Or, yeah. They actually did that in Abington Township. We got them on it, too. They scheduled a secret deer hunt. We found out about it because our local park, beautiful park, Alverthorpe, it's gorgeous, was surrounded with cop cars. And it's like 7 in the morning. Kids are walking by out front and everything like that. And walk over, what's the deal? Oh, there's a deer hunt going on in there. It's like, when was this ordered? When mm-hmm. was this decided? Anything like that. There are kids walking to school right outside the fence. And how big is the park? Maybe 30 acres, right? So it's, it's not that big. And I went to the next meeting, and I was like, who ordered this? At what meeting? When did it happen? What was the vote? Who voted in favor mm-hmm. of it? Who spoke? Do you know what they did? This meeting is adjourned mm-hmm. right out from under. Next day, it was the front page of the papers and everything like that. Wow. Left a man standing, demanding answers, everything like that. And that was cool because afterward, one of these guys from, uh, I'm trying to think of the name of the order, PETA, for the People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, mm-hmm. he came up to me afterwards and says, listen, it was very brave of you to get up there and say that. I want to work with you to help stop these secret deer hunts. <laughs> and the two of us, we worked together, everything. You know, I couldn't be farther apart from this guy right. philosophically, but we worked together. And you know what? We won. Good for we got you. Them. After that, they said, there will be a deer hunt coming. Is there any public comment on it? And mm-hmm. the two of us are sitting in the back grinning, except he was sad because I got rid of the secrecy, which was my goal. He couldn't get rid of the deer hunts, which right. was his goal. Right. Pretty cool. Sunshine. Now, what else? There was something I was going to say about the sunshine. I should have written it down. <laughs> when the sun shines, you don't know what you're doing. All the cockroaches run up the walls. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. I wouldn't wouldn't go so far as to say that. You know, when I first got involved in politics, I expected that kind of stuff. I expected threatening phone calls and slash tires. My first phone call, it was anonymous. Mm -hmm. And the lady said, the McKinley Civic Association has having a picnic over at Alverthorpe Park, the same one they had the hunt. And you should be there. I said, who is this? That's not important. What's important is that you get over there right away and shake some hands. Click. Wow. Yeah. My township, generally good. It's going to be like the Rangers. You know, I could pick on them for certain things. But overall, mm-hmm. they do a very, very, very good job. Good. Well, my problems with Greg Township are ongoing, uh-huh. <laughs> along with the school. So. Well, you know, I'm glad you're doing it. Because this is what it takes. It, it just drives them back. And I found this out with Abington. It just takes one or two people standing up. I'm not going to use your, your cockroach example <laughs> there. but I just uh, came up with that on the spot, you know. <laughs> I don't know. There's, there's a lot of similarities of that. Because when you shine the light on them, it, it happens. They start running. I do, ha- I do have some, some good case law that's been established through these right-to-know requests that, you know, obviously are going to help, what is it, over 12 million people in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. So... You know, municipal surveillance videos have been ruled three times to be public in a Grove versus Greg, <laughs> Greg Township versus Grove cases. Nice. So, you know, there's no question about that. And it's been covered from every angle. The foster children, the camera angles, the security, it's all been covered. These videos are public. Have you thought about collecting the records yourself when it happens? What do you mean? Well, they have emails 
today. Just go in at the end of the week and just harvest all their emails. Now they'll get you caught fishing. Well, they, uh, I have requested things immediately after. You know, actually, the first video case that I won, the one that I won in the Commonwealth Court, um, was about me walking into the building and surprise, they were having a secret meeting. <laughs> and out. the secret locked door meeting, which I came upon by accident, uh, they were discussing destroying records that had been requested. I heard oh, I heard man. the whole thing. Oh, man. I ended up banging on the door because it was during business hours, even though they had the door locked. I ended up banging on the door and filing that request on the spot. <laughs> we litigated <laughs> over that for, for I think, a year and a half. Uh-huh. And then they still wouldn't give me the records. Um, and I finally I finally did get, I don't think I got all of them, but I finally did get some records from them. Congratulations. That's what it takes. In politics, tenacity is a virtue. Yes. I told you the time would go by quickly, and it has. Do you have any final comments? Do you have a website you'd like to send people to or something? Uh, I do. Uh, website, Greg Township Unofficial, G-R-E-G-G. TownshipUnofficial.org. There's public records on there, minutes, all kinds of interesting things for nerds like me who like to know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool. I've been out there, and I w- I've been out there. What? Geez, a year ago? How long's that been up? Um, I know I was I was out there during the governor campaign in 2018. I think it was it was either late late 2016 or early early 2017. I put that website up overnight because some people were complaining that the township wasn't updating theirs. So I said, mm-hmm. well, okay. That's well, right. first I offered to help them with theirs. They didn't want my help, so <laughs> so I made Why am I, not I made one myself. Okay, that's going to wrap it up for the them portion of the show. My sincere thanks to our activist, the vexatious, notorious, right-to-know requester of Greg Township, Michelle Grove. Thank, thank you. For, you. Thank you for appearing on the Pennsylvania Project. We're going to pause for this information, and when we return, I'm going to be ranting about something that really sticks in my craw, audiences. The following is a commercial announcement. Hey, Karen, how's it going? It could be better. Why? What's the matter? I just found a great job, but I can't take it. Why not? They want me to go as a 1099 contractor. So? So what about all the taxes? Federal taxes, state taxes, this tax, that tax. I have better things to do than figuring out the tax laws and filling out all those forms. I'm a libertarian, remember? Well, then you need Amendment 16. Hey, it's a damn 16th Amendment that got me into this predicament in the first place. No, no. Amendment 16, the invoicing service. They'll invoice your client for the hours and expenses you report to them, and when your client pays them, they pay you, minus all required state and federal taxes. It's that easy. One call does it all. And they'll even have an accountant do your personal taxes for you come April Fool's Day. I mean, come April 15th. And they take care of all the taxes, all the forms? Yep, and they can pass along certain tax breaks, too. Sounds perfect. Where do I find them? On the web, of course, at amendment16.com, with 16 spelled out. That's amendment, S-I-X-T-E-E-N dot com. One call does it all. You've been registered Libertarian for years, voted for Libertarians even longer, and lived by Libertarian principles all your life. Now it's time to take the next step and become a dues-paying member of the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania. Keep abreast of the March Toward Liberty in Pennsylvania. 
Take an active role in making it happen. Maybe even consider for running local political office yourself. It all starts with becoming a dues-paying member of the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania. It's easy, fast, and only $20 per year. So visit lppa.org to sign up today. That's lppa.org. Do it today. A freer future is waiting. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here again, and welcome to the me portion of episode 21 of the Pennsylvania Project, where I get to rant for a little bit about something that really sticks in my craw. Today's topic, audiences. Yep, audiences. And no, no, not you, not audiences for radio podcasts. I'm talking about live audiences. You know what I mean? Me on the stage, them in their seats. I've run for public office a whole bunch of times, and I've addressed snoring crowds of thousands. So I have some experience with audiences. And like the Rangers, they're not necessarily all good ones. I'm also a professional public speaker, so I have a lot of experience there. And you know, it's funny, because people actually pay me to speak when I know people who would pay me to shut up. (laughs) But despite all their drawbacks though, audiences, they're necessary. Why? Well, let me ask you, what is a public speaker without an audience? Well, it's just some guy standing around talking to himself, that's what. So audiences have a tremendous responsibility, don't they? There'd be no public speaking without them. But what does it mean to be an audience? A lot of them don't know. We'll start with Webster. He says an audience is a group or, or assembly of listeners or those attending a play or performance. It comes from the Latin word audiere, meaning to hear or to listen. And in this case, the more precise one is the present participle, I can speak, which is audience, which means listening. Audiences listening? Ha! I've seen a lot of audiences, let me tell you, they do everything but listen. They stroll in late, walk out early, fall asleep if I'm lucky, snore if I'm not lucky, cough, sneeze, hold side conversations, or just plain ignore me. Listening? Yeah, right. Ha! They fiddle with stuff, invisible stuff. Like that lady in the back with the giant handbag who's constantly rooting around for something. I don't know what. I keep wondering, does she got a gun in there? I don't know. Then there's the loud stuff like that brown paper bag or worse yet, cellophane. But absolute worst, those cheap plastic water bottles. I'm wondering, are they going to throw that at me, you know? Makes me wish I wore a soundproof helmet and body armor or something like that. And somebody, tell me, tell me why audience members always take notes at the wrong times. I could be giving some lecture or some seminar or something, and I could say, this is important, and they'll just sit there and look at me blankly. But if I say, uh, sorry, I was at the Folk Fest and I'm a little bit, you know, hungover, and, you know, some jet lag here, folk lag actually. Well, they're scribbling in their ma- notebooks madly. What are they writing down? I don't know. Go figure. Then they'll laugh at the wrong times. You have a joke and it's like dead out there. And then if I say, well, you know, the wife and I had a little disagreement on the way over here. It's all belly laughs out there. What happened? Do you see my live audiences stick in my craw? Good grief. And then, then there's the anticipation. Because you know, sooner or later, someone's cell phone is going to ring. Oh, yeah. And even in the studio here, it happens from time to time. But I learned a neat trick from Craig Valentine, who is the Toastmasters world champion in public speaking in 1999. Whenever he's up on the stage speaking and a phone goes off, he says, hold my calls, which I guess is a nice way of doing it. Pretty classy way of doing it, I think. But, you know, like with the Rangers, there are drawbacks, but audiences can be good, too. 
It could be good for all sorts of things. Like if you want to have a poll, like for example, shows of hands. You can say, all right, let's have a show of hands. How many of you don't like shows of hands? Eh, they don't do it. Audience participation is fun. For example, I actually one time asked the audience to quack on the count of three. I said, one, two, three, and they all said, quack. <laughs> and then another time, I asked them to stand up and applaud, and they all stood up and applauded. It was the only time I ever got a standing ovation. <laughs> but although sometimes they, they could be good, these audience, the worst ones, the worst ones absolutely are the political audiences. They may cheer louder, but they also boo louder, and Michelle, I'm sure you know that, much louder. Mm. They're a lot more uppity, a lot more arrogant. But the worst part of any of these political audiences are the Q&As. Some of them are real killers. For example, the long questions. I talked about this in episode one. Yes, I have a question. I was talking to my girlfriend about this when we went to McDonald's. And I got the salad at McDonald's, McDonald's, and this, but the tomatoes just aren't as good as they used to be. I don't know. It's like, lady, get to the question, would you? And then there's the scared people. Well, like, um, I, um, I, I, um, I, come on, come on, come on. You can do it. Get to the question. And by the way, there are two of the reasons why the Pennsylvania Project is email in and not call in. And then there's the wise guys. Ah, oh, man, I love the wise guy questions. During the 2002 campaign for governor when I was running, the whole Monica Lewinsky, Monica Lewinsky, I think I could say a good Polish name, it was still big in the news. And I got this question from this wiseacre. He stood up and says, yeah, I got a question for you. Did you cheat on your wife? <laughs> the audience goes, <gasps> but I didn't miss a beat. I said, not yet. What did you have in mind? <laughs> and that defused it. And you know, these political audiences, they're fun. Big audiences are easier actually to speak to, but sometimes the best ones you could do are spoken to an audience of one. For example, when I'm at a restaurant and the waitress says, oh, would you like a glass of water? I'll say, oh, no thanks, I'm trying to quit. Or if she says, do you want fries with that? I says, oh, no, 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 I gotta drive. And she says, do you need anything else? I'll say, world peace? And she always gives me that puzzled look, you know, that, that gaze, the tilt of the head, kind of like a confused dog. <laughs> You know, with that tilt. Not that waitresses are dogs or anything like that. I guess some gestures are probably universal. One of the most unusual one, audiences of one I had, it was on Thanksgiving Eve. We were in the police state of New Jersey, Pennsauken to be precise. It was 4 a.m. and we were coming home from a party. I had been drinking. Up ahead we saw flares and lights and everything. What's going on? Is it an accident, an emergency or something? And we saw the sign. Sobriety checkpoint ahead. So, uh oh. So I pulled up to the officer, rolled down the window. Good evening, he says to me. Have you been drinking? Well, I put on my best Toastmasters hat and smiled and said, Yes, sir, I have. I got this card from the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania that says someone my body weight can have five beers before hitting the legal limit. And I've only had three beers all night. He looks at me, smacks the side of the car, and he says, That's the best story I've heard all night. Have a good evening, sir. And we drove away. Truth, ask my wife. She's not, not in the room right now. My Toastmaster skills certainly saved the day that night, but I wasn't going to tell the cop that because the last thing you want to say to a cop at 4 a.m. at a DUI checkpoint is that you're a Toastmaster. <laughs> I can't tell you how many live audiences I've spoken to, whether it's my political stump speech, paid public speaking gigs, Radio shows, TV interviews, debates. I couldn't tell you. So many of them. And people ask me, don't you get tired 
of giving the same speech over and over, like my stump speech. I must have done it a thousand times. Ah, but you see, it is never, ever the same speech. Because even though the words may be the same sometimes, the speech is different. That's because the audience is an integral part of every single speech. Their reactions, like the reactions of getting in the room around me right now, the attitude, even those stupid wiseacre questions or the rambling questions, whatever it is. So just like every audience is different, then there's, there's no question that every speech is different. It comes out different. This time it may come out great, may come out like a song. Next time it may just land flat on its face, kind of like asking Greg Township for their records. <laughs> <laughs> Bottom line here, a speech is only as good as its audience. So it's you, the audience, that makes the speech happen. And you know what? It really sticks in my craw how many of my speeches you guys have tried to ruin. But it's the good audiences that make up for it, and it's why I keep calling. Poor Michelle, she just can't. I'm trying really hard, Ken. That's okay. All right, I'll stop there. On on that moralistic note, that's going to wrap it up for episode 21 of the Pennsylvania Project. If you have something to say, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at PennsylvaniaProject.com. You can hear us there, too, as well as iTunes and other popular podcast providers. Today's episode is courtesy of Amendment 16 Limited, recorded live at the studios of WWDB Radio, broadcasting at 10 a.m. every Saturday at 8.60 a.m. in Philadelphia, and released as a podcast every Tuesday at PennsylvaniaProject.com. Our webmaster is Stephen Worley. Marketing guru is Connor Dragotis. Featured Toastmaster narrator is Distinguished Toastmaster and speech contest winner Karen Flam. Keyboard wizard Joe the Pag. Radio producer Brett Kronberger. Executive producer Mark Bazzacco. And me, your caster, Ken Krawchuk. Thanks for joining us. And remember, more important than solving the problem correctly is to solve the correct problem. Thank you.